a couple a couple of months ago in preparation for tonight the lord dropped in my heart a word that i've been simmering on for some time now and i want to call this message and i'll pray for you in a minute and then pastor micah you can uh, transition from there i want to call this a distant country a distant country on the count of three can you say the title with me one two three a distant country go with me to luke chapter 15 luke chapter 15 in the new testament in this chapter particularly jesus shares three unique parables uh, i'm not challenging your intelligence at all but a parable is just a simple story that Jesus told or used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. So Jesus often taught in parables. And in Luke chapter 15, we see three parables that are centered around this idea of being lost, of being lost. Now, it's imperative that you know, before I give you a rundown of these three parables, that Jesus often spoke about sin and salvation under the metaphors of being lost and found. If you know that, somebody say amen. amen. So he used these terms, lost and found, for us to understand sin and salvation. And in Luke chapter 15, the, the first parable, the first story that Jesus tells is about a shepherd. And this shepherd owns 100 sheep, but one of them goes astray, and the shepherd makes an intentional decision to leave the 99 to go find that one lost sheep. How many of you are glad that he came looking for you? Come on, somebody. In the second parable in Luke chapter 15, it's about a woman who discovers that one of her, her coins is lost. And so this woman begins to search everywhere for this lost prize possession, this, this coin. And she searches and searches and searches until she finds the lost coin. And then the third parable, the third story that, that Jesus shares is really the one that I want to sit on for our time together this evening. And it's about two sons who in different ways were both, were both lost. And this is how the story picks up. And then I'll pray for you. Watch this. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse number 11. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that, that belongs to me. Let me pause there for just a moment and tell you that according to Jewish tradition, according to Jewish history, if a son were to ask his father for his share of the inheritance before the father had died, that would be like saying to the father, I wish that you were dead. And, and by Jewish tradition, the father then would be allowed to take the back of his hand and strike the cheek of the child. But this father doesn't do that, does he? Your Bible says that he divided his wealth between them. Look at verse number 13. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything he had and he moved, here it is, to a distant country. 
And there he wasted all of his money with, with wild living. The Bible goes on in verse number 14. About the time that all of his money ran out, a, a great famine swept over the land and, and this son began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to, to feed the pigs. And the Bible says he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but but no one was giving him anything to eat. Verse 17. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but, but I'm dying here with hunger. Verse 18. And he says, I'll go home. I'll go home to my father and I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven. I've, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to even be called your son. Just make me as one of your hired men. And the Bible goes on in verse 20. So he got up and he ran to his father. He came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and, he, and filled with love and filled with compassion for him, he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the Bible goes on in verse 21. And the son said to him, Dad, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22. But the father says to his servants, and I love this, quickly, bring, bring out the hand-me-down robe. Uh, bring out the goodwill robe bring out the gently used robe no 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 he says bring out the very best i want you to bring out the best robe and i want you to i want you to put it on him and and i want you to put a ring on his hand and i want you to place sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf he's saying baby tonight we're having steak come on somebody kill it and let's eat and celebrate and i want you to see this for this son of mine was dead but he has come to life again he was lost but now he has been found he, he was a sinner but now he has been saved and they began to celebrate would you give the Lord a big round of applause just for his word a distant country. Pray for me as I pray for you. Jesus, I need your touch. Your people came here tonight not to be entertained, not to simply be motivated by a speaker or a preacher, not for me to stand up on this platform and to try to build credibility by using fancy words or to act as if I, I know more of the Bible than anybody else. It was Paul who said, I do not preach with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. And so I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to fill me with your power because I believe you've given me a right now word. Open the hearts of your people. Open the ears of your people. And if you'll speak through me tonight, I will be forever grateful. In the name that is above all other names, Jesus Christ, let the church say amen. amen. You know, I, I think that for most of us, we, we understand what it means uh, to be in a distant 
country. Uh, for many of you, at some point in your life, you've taken a vacation outside of the continental United States of America, and you've gone somewhere in a foreign land. One of the beautiful things about our church at both campuses, which they're having a first Wednesday night experience there as well, is the diversity of this house. I mean, the beauty of this particular church is that in this room are people from all over the globe, uh, different backgrounds, different heritages, different ethnicities. We, we come from distant countries. So I think we understand what it means to, to be in a distant country physically, to live in a distant country physically. I mean, some of you even served in the military and we thank you for your bravery. And some of you were stationed outside of the United States of America and you saw the country from a different lens and through a different perspective. And I, again, I think we understand what it means to live in a distant country. But, but what does it mean to be in a distant country spiritually? Uh, we visited there. Uh, we've, we've tasted the food from there. Uh, we bought a postcard from there. Uh, you've gotten packages from Amazon delivered from there. Come on now. <laughs> but what does it mean to spiritually live in a distant country. I want to unpack that for just a minute. I believe in my heart that it's important that every single one of us at some point, we identify what spiritual state or what spiritual condition we are living in. Uh, the Apostle Paul talked about this repeatedly over and over and over. He talked about the importance of self-examination. At some point, we have to be able to evaluate our lives and then make a decision. Will we take up residence in a distant country or will we swallow whatever pride is standing in our way from us returning home and go back to the arms of a loving father? If I'm being honest with you, most of us have experienced a season of living in a distant country spiritually. What, 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 it, what does that look like exactly? I'm glad you asked. In a season of living in a distant country, spiritually speaking, God may feel incredibly far from you. When you pray, it's as if your prayers reverb off of the ceiling of heaven. In a distant country, spiritually speaking, you, you feel like God will never forgive you for the sins that you've committed, the wrong that you've done. Living in this season and this place spiritually, you've even thought, if I walk in a church, the whole place is going to catch on fire. In a spiritually distant country, you're exhausted. Emotionally, physically spiritually you're drained uh, you, you're at rock bottom and there seems to be no options watch this when you're living in a distant country spiritually you feel stuck uh, you might be able to go backwards but you certainly aren't able to muster up the strength to go forward when you're spiritually living in a distant country uh, things like prayer and bible reading those are just religious obligations i i do it because i have to not because i want to Living in this distant country spiritually means, hey, the idea of Jesus is incredibly intriguing to me, but, but there's no personal relationship with him. 
As a matter of fact, the parable that you just read gives us a uh, definition of living in a distant country from a spiritual standpoint. Watch this. Wild living. Famine. Starvation. Eating Tide Pods. Come on, somebody. How many of you saw that fad? What's wrong with people? The, what did the Bible say? That he would have gladly eaten the pods of the pigs. And then in a distant country, there is always death. I want to I talk about this distant country for a moment. And there are three things that the Lord put in my heart that I think will help us understand better about what it means to be in this distant country. The first thing, if you're taking notes, is this. The distant country is filled with deception. This distant country is, is filled with deception. And I feel like God brought you here tonight and he's given me the responsibility to remind all of us that it is the very nature and the character of Satan to be deceptive. That is his modus operandi. I mean, the Bible tells us that, that Satan has been a liar from the very beginning. In his introduction of Satan, he comes to us as a serpent under the guise of a serpent. And the credentials of this malevolent, wicked creature are announced even in his introduction. Watch this. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says that the serpent was more what? Cunning. Schemy. Crafty. Sneaky. Deceptive. That he was more cunning than all of the beasts, any other beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. See, the primary objective of the enemy, and you need to know this, is to entice you. To lure you. To tempt you so that you will pull away from God and he uses everything in his arsenal to do it. Here's the thing about the enemy too, and I'm not standing up here giving him more credit than he deserves, but I will let you know this. The, the enemy does not play uh, to your strengths. No, 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 no. The enemy always attacks your weakness. The areas that you're most vulnerable in. And let's be truthful, we, we've all wrestled with some type of temptation in our lives. Uh, I'm not a fortune teller and I don't consider myself to be a prophet. I know that to be true because you're human. And so am I. We've all at some point been tempted to be pulled away from God. And Satan, he plays off of our weaknesses, hoping that one day when you're at the lowest of low, when you feel like your back is against the wall, that all hell is against you, that moment that you're about to throw in the towel and you're gonna give up on God, that in that moment you buy into his deceptive lies, that you pack up your bags, you leave your spiritual home and you move to a distant country. Uh, James jumps into this conversation in James chapter one. Here's a few verses of scripture. He says, every person is tempted. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and they are enticed. He goes on in verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it grows up, gives birth to what? Death, because the wages of sin is death. 
And then here's what James says. He says, so do not be deceived. And then I'm telling you, that's been my prayer for you. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Don't let that distant country deceive you. And I, I think almost every single day, one of the biggest lies that the enemy wants us to buy into is that if we, as Christians, decide to follow Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, with everything inside of us, here's the lie, then we'll miss out on something. That, that if we say, God, I'm all in, then he tells you, you'll, you'll miss out on something. And here's what he says. Come on. You know this to be true. The enemy will say, hey, the grass is greener over here. Life, life is better over here. Hey, in the distant country, there are no rules. There are no responsibilities. There, there are no consequences for your actions. He tells you, listen, over here you can do whatever you want. Make it up as you go along. He says, hey, your best life is over here in the distant country, away from God, because here you can live it up. I want to tell you real quick, I won't spend a lot of time on this, but by my own testimony, years ago when I was a teenager in my adolescence, I allowed the lies of the enemy to override the truth of God, and so I went on a journey. I went on a journey. I, I bought everything the devil was selling, and it led, it led me to a place I never thought that I would end up. But he kept saying, hey, come over here. Try it out over here. And one day I woke up and you know where I was? I was at rock bottom and I had pushed away just about everybody in my life that wanted to help me and that really cared for me. And I did it all because I thought, I thought that this distant country was a better place for me to live spiritually. It didn't take very long once I got there though to realize that I had been deceived. See, here's the thing. Whenever we run towards deception, it always leads to destruction. This is the purpose of the enemy, to deceive you so that ultimately he can destroy you. The enemy is not your friend, although he'll tell you that he is. The enemy is not on your side although he'll whisper that he is. Satan does not love you or your family or your marriage or your children, although he'll promise he'll take care of them. See, whenever you run towards deception, it always leads to destruction. That's what happens in this distant country. It leads you to destruction. Maybe you've wondered, why, why would the enemy ever, ever want to deceive me? It's because he wants to destroy you. Because there's a calling on your life. There's a purpose for your life. Uh, there's an anointing on your marriage. That there's purpose for your family. And the enemy is terrified of what might happen when you step into the potential that God has planned for you. So if he can deceive you, then guess what? He will destroy you. The answer about why he's deceptive is destruction. Come on. Raise your hand if you grew up in church. Anybody grew up in church? Uh, the majority of us in this room, and if you grew up in church, especially in a Pentecostal church, at some point you've heard a preacher quote John 10.10. 10. You can quote John 10.10. 10. 
But in John chapter 10, verse 10, we see a contrast of mission. What's revealed to us in John 10, 10 is the mission of Satan, but also the mission of Jesus Christ. I want you to see it. Watch this. Uh, it says, the thief comes to what? Steal and what? And what? There it is. That's his purpose. To, to steal from you. To, to kill you and, and to destroy you. Now, that's his mission, but, but thank God for Jesus. Come on, somebody right there. Jesus says, but, but I came that you may have what? Life and have it more abundantly. See, the goal, the goal of the enemy is to watch your life become totally and completely destroyed. But, but the goal of Jesus is to see your life totally and completely fulfilled. And just like God has a plan for you. How many of you believe that? God has a plan for you. So does Satan. So does the enemy. Satan is not omnipotent. Satan is not omnipresent. But Satan is doing everything he can to destroy you. He desires to kill your family. I'll be really sensitive here. I'll be very careful here. But I must tell you that in the last month, we've learned about four different marital affairs within this church body. If that doesn't break your heart, you're not praying hard enough. Marriages falling apart. That's why the enemy is after your health. He wants you to be sick. He wants that, that physical pain and that emotional pain to pull you backwards and to drag you backwards so that when he says to you, hey, I told you God wouldn't heal you, you'll say, yeah, you're right. I'll just pack up my bags and move to the distant country. That's why he tries to steal your joy and he's after your calling, he's after your anointing and he's after, after your life. He wants to destroy everything that he can. That's why your Bible says this, be alert. Be alert. Sometimes you walk right into the mess. Some, sometimes you set your own self up for failure. Uh, let, let, me, let me be as, as plain as I know how to be, but as respectful as I can be as well. It, it's like this. If you, if you are an alcoholic, don't walk into a bar. If you, if you struggle, and these are real addictions, because uh, the enemy is using them to pull you away, to pull you away. Listen, I'm telling you right now, the enemy says to you the same lie he told me years ago, at the bottom of that beer bottle, you'll find happiness and joy and purpose. But with every drink you've ever taken and every drink I ever tried, you know, when I was a teenager, by the time I got to the bottle, looking back at me was an empty bottle. It would only band-aid a problem. Uh, that, that's why if, if you're addicted to pornography, you shouldn't get on the internet without some type of accountability software. The Bible says to be alert. You, you are not some superhero. You, you, do, you do not have the ability through your own strength to turn from temptation. That's why Galatians 6, chapter 1, I believe that's the right, uh, correct reference. It says, uh, you who are spiritual, if you know somebody living in sin, then you should go and restore them gently. 
but be careful because you also might be tempted. He says, be alert and hey, be of sober mind. Because your enemy, the devil, he what? Prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to destroy. I'm telling you, I'm trying to help you that the enemy wants to destroy you. The enemy wants you dead. That's why life has been so hard. That's why there's been so much pain. That's why you're hurt. That's why you feel broken. Because the enemy has not stopped and he probably will not stop. He's after you. I'm not trying to scare you. You don't have anything to be afraid of. You just have to be alert and of sober mind. He wants you dead. And, and, and if he can't get to you, then he'll, he'll get to your children. He'll get to your family. He'll, he'll infiltrate anything that's close to you within your proximity because he wants to lure you and to tempt you to say, listen, hey, that, there's another offer on the table. You can leave your home and you can move out. I, re I remember growing up as a teenager telling my mom, when I'm 18, I'm out of here. She took me up on that, by the way. <laughs> when I turned 18, she said, see ya. I can't tell you how many times in the last 20 years I've wanted to go home. Because I learned really fast that adulting ain't fun. Remember? I can't wait to be on my own, to live my own life. I'll make my own rules. I'll stay up late. I'll do whatever I want. And then you learn that you got bills, 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 bills. So then I decided, well, I'll just make money. And then I learned more money, more problems. Come on, somebody. Because at some point, well, here's the truth. We were all born into sin. And sin tries to pull us away. And if you look back at the parable that we read earlier, the youngest son fell into this trap of deception. He fell into the trap of deception and, and ultimately because he was deceived, then he was destroyed and everything was lost. He, it was completely ruined. This guy went from living in a mansion to living in mud. He went from having friends and, and family and, and servants to having nobody. Not even the pigs would share their slop. He was, he was deceived and then he was destroyed. And he went from wealth to welfare. In a split second. And you know what's sad? Here's the saddest part. You ready? It was all his choice. It was his choice. Here's the thing about God, and you need to know this. Now, Ten more minutes and I'll be done. I want you to see this. God gives us free will. God gives us the ability and the power to choose. Watch this. I'm not about to tell you anything that you don't know, but you need to be reminded of it. God did not create us to be machines. He did not create you to be a, a robotic machine. 
See, a machine, a machine just does what the machine is supposed to do without thinking about doing anything different. Nor does a machine ever even consider why they do what they do or what, what it is that they're actually doing. Machines have no character. Ma machines have no soul. Machines ha have no personality. A machine can't experience joy or excitement or pleasure. Machines are not creative. Machines are not spontaneous. Well, some of y'all's computers are spontaneous. Ma machines are not inquisitive. Machines, they lack self-awareness. They lack consciousness. They, they have no relationships. Machines have no sense of priorities. They, they can't sit around and make plans for the future. A machine can't experience or taste satisfaction or accomplishment. Why? Because they're a machine. And they do not have free will. That's why God did not create us to be machine. God created us to be his children. People. And watch this. And he gave us free will. He gave us the ability to watch, to think to reason, and to own our choices. You know, one of the things that, that frustrates me so much, and I, I need to be careful here because I don't want you to think less of me as your pastor or your spiritual tour guide, but it surprises me and astonishes me and even frustrates me how many people will not own their own choices. We end up in a distant country and we blame everybody else. Nobody else took you there but you. And you have to be responsible for the choices that you make. Now, here's the beautiful thing about God. God not only gives us free will for us to think and to reason and to make choices, but he gives us a roadmap. And yet we don't even read it. it it's collected more dust than a picture of Granny. And we wonder, how did I end up here? Duh. You know, the thing, about, the thing about free will is that you have to decide what path you're going to take. And I think one of the greatest lessons, if you think back on this parable about uh, the two sons, specifically this particular brother, one of the greatest lessons that we can learn from that reading and one of the greatest lessons you can learn from your life personally is that every decision has a consequence attached. Every decision has a consequence attached to it. And one of the first lessons that you will ever learn about the law of consequences, and this happens as a small child. As just a little, as a little kid, in the kitchen, when mom says, don't touch it, it's hot. Even, even from early childhood, there's this tendency to go against what you know you shouldn't or should be doing. I'll do the opposite. You tell me not to touch it, I'm going to touch it. So you know what I tell my kids? Go ahead. You get to decide, and here's one of the first things that we learn about the law of consequences, and you learn this as a little, and watch this, good choices bring about good results, and bad choices bring about destructive results. When you make good choices, guess what? Good results happen. But when you make poor choices, bad choices, 
stupid choices, foolish choices, when you hang around the, the wrong people, when you get involved in the wrong thing, I can't tell you in how many years of ministry I've been doing this full time, the number of courtrooms that I've sat in watching as young men and women with great potential to do incredible things for the kingdom of God are now on trial, sitting there because of bad choices they made because they just wanted to fit in. Because the enemy said, hey, over here, life is better. Life is not better over there. It's deception that leads to destruction. And your Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 12, that there is a way. There's a way, and it, and it seems right. It looks right. It, it might even feel right. But guess what? In the end, it's the way of death. It's the way of death. And I, I've got to pause right here, and I have to ask you the most gut-wrenching question anyone could ever ask you when it comes to your spiritual life. What is your address? Where are you living? Tonight, today, right here, right now, if Jesus came back in this moment, what zip code would you be living in? Would you be living at home with your, with your father, with, with your covering, with your family? Or are you out doing your own thing, living it up? Maybe you are in this distant country and, and maybe you chose to walk in that direction or maybe you slowly wandered off, but now you're realizing just how far away you are. Maybe the deceptive lies of the enemy are what lured you away. Here's the truth. Watch this. Whenever we run towards deception, it leads to destruction, but the Father wants us home. He wants you home. One of the things I learned as a teenager, um, really caught up in the world. As a matter of fact, I remember the first cuss word I ever said. I wish it was that G-rated. I was in, I, watch this. I was in the 11th grade, the 11th grade, sitting in criminal justice class, and there were two girls that I sat next to every day in that class. And every day that I walked into that class, I can't tell you one thing that the teacher taught on, but these two girls would say, say it, say it, say it, say it, say it, say it, say it. You know you want to say it. Say it. And then, and then they would mouth this particular word. And, and they would get right about, say it. Say it. Say it. You know, we are all... <laughs> say it. Just say it. We're all created in the image of God. So we're all God's children. We're all beautiful people. Of these two girls, though, God spent a little bit more time on the other one than he did the other one. I'm going to let you read between the lines there. 
Beautiful, beautiful. But one of them, Lord bless her. The other one, the Lord blessed her. Say it, say it, say it, say it. And the, and the one that needed an extra blessing said to me, she got my face, she said, if you say it, I'll kiss you. And I looked at her, I said, I will never say that word. I promise you right now, that word will never come out of my mouth. I did. I said, there ain't no way I'll ever say that word. But then the other one. She said, if you say it, I'll kiss you. All it took, baby. It's, it's, it's funny, but I was deceived. That weekend, that weekend, that day was the first time I ever said a, a, a cuss word that I can remember. Maybe as a kid I said something that I shouldn't have, but when I knew what I was saying and I knew that I shouldn't say it, and say it, say it, say it, say it, say it, I said it. Uh, that weekend, the pretty one said, come to a party with me. Okay. Went to a party, had my first taste of alcohol. By the time that I was 19, I was an alcoholic. Alcoholism uh, continues to be a generational curse over my family. However, when I got saved and I gave my heart to the Lord uh, in September of 1999, a few months after I graduated from high school, God saved me. He delivered me, and he called me into ministry. Um, and Kimberly will tell you that now that I have two children, although they're young and I'm careful with it, uh, I will tell my son Lakeland that that generational curse stops with me and him. Say it, say it, say it, say it. I said it, and then within months, within months, next, next thing I knew, I looked up, and I was sitting in a room full of alcoholics going around the circle saying, my name is, and I'm an alcoholic. And the enemy, uh, he took his tentacles and he wrapped them around my legs and around my arms and around my heart. And with every bit of strength he had, he kept pulling me and pulling me and pulling me and pulling me further and further and further away from God until, until one day I just wanted all of the pain to end. Take me out of this world. Because that's what the enemy wants. Now, your story is not the same as mine, but I wonder, even at our age now, how many times is the enemy in your ear? Say it. Say it. Do it. Drink it. Look at it. Go there. Text that. Email that. Watch that. Steal that. Take that. Come on. 
And I, here, here's, and I'm, I'm closing with this. And in, my, and in my sin, living in that distant country, not knowing where to go, I thought I was so far gone that there was no hope. And you know what I learned? Watch this. This is what I learned, that the distant country is not too distant after all. It's all deception. He makes you think that there is no hope. He makes you think there is no way out. He makes you think that you can't do better, get better, climb your way out of that deep, dark hole. But let me tell you that Jesus is just as close as the very mention of his name. And even in that pig pen, even laying in the mud and the muck, starving to death, filled with wild living, living for the world, thinking, God, you don't love me. You don't care about me. Listen to me. When it comes to the love of God, nothing nothing can separate you from that love. The enemy will tell you God doesn't love you. God has abandoned you. God has let you down. But I'm here to tell you tonight, it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, or where you are right now. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your circumstances. It does not matter your situation. It doesn't even matter your decisions. It will not change God's love for you. God loves you as much today living in that distant country that you live in as he does when you're laying in an altar crying out to him. His love does not change. You know, there's one thing you will never, ever hear God say to you or over you. I don't love you anymore goes against his character it goes against his nature and just like this this parable the son leaves his covering the the son leaves his father the son loses his way and then and then watch this finally he comes to his senses wait a minute wait a minute i i don't have to stay here any longer i i don't i don't have to be an addict any longer i don't have to be in bondage any longer I don't have to be the victim any longer he says at my father's house come on somebody and he says I, I, I know what I'll do I'll get up I'll get up and he says and I'll go to my dad and I'll repent there it is there it is he says I'll, I'll just I'll repent and guess what when he gets close enough to the house of his father and the father sees him from a distance you know what the position of the, the father is? You know what the posture of the father is? Arms open wide. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that, that he ran to meet his son. In Jewish culture, uh, the men would have to wear uh, like, almost like a dress, what we would consider a dress. And it was a, a shameful act to show their bare feet. But yet he lifted up that garment exposing his feet and he ran to his son and I'm telling you here tonight church whoever you are that's living in the distant country as hard as you run towards Jesus Jesus is running just as hard towards you uh, here's what the Bible says can anything ever separate us from Christ's love nothing nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God listen to me and I'm done I don't know why and I mean this. 
I don't know why God hasn't given up on me. I don't. I have failed more times than I'd like to admit. I've, I've thrown spiritual temper tantrums. I've packed my bags and said, I'm done. And yet every time I find myself at a place of repentance, God is there. And his arms are always open. Welcoming me back home. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Listen to me. The enemy is out to deceive you because he wants to destroy you. But that distant country is not too distant after all. All it takes is one moment to come to your senses, to cry out to Jesus, to leave that old life behind, to take the hardest step is the first step. The hardest step is the first one. To say, okay, God, I'm out, I'm out of this stinking pig pen. And I won't go back. I can't go back to the way it used to be. That's my prayer for you. Take that first step and let Jesus meet you there. Will you stand with me all around this room? Uh, we've got to hurry. Can you sing a chorus for us? Come on, every hand lifted all around this place. Come on. Jesus, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with yeah, come on. the precious blood of Jesus Come on, Christ. sing it one more time. Come oh, on. come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious are you hurting? blood of Jesus Christ. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin. Jesus is calling. Come on, listen to this. Come on. Have you come to the end of yourself? Come on, Mike. To your thirst for a drink from the well. Jesus is calling. He says, Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. for just a moment if you're in this room today and you would say Pastor JC I am living in that distant country I have bought into the deceptive lies of the enemy and he has destroyed everything that I've ever loved I feel lost I feel hopeless I feel abandoned but tonight I'm ready to take that first step that step of Repentance, that step of swallowing my pride, and I'm ready to come back home. I'm ready to come back home and to live in the spiritual covering of my father and my church family. Come on, you know where you should be. You say, I'm tired of living with the pigs. 
I'm ready to walk as the prince. <laughs> if that's you, nobody's looking but me right now. Will you lift your hand? Come on, if that's you. Thank you. So many hands. Thank you. Wow. Come on. Many hands. Anybody else before we pray? Thank you. Thank you. Come on. You'll never forget this day. You'll never forget this day. Everybody take your hand, put it over your heart. Pray this prayer after me. Father God, I want you to pray this as if this was the first time you ever said it. Father God, I'm asking you to forgive me of all of my sin, to forgive me of all of my mistakes, to forgive me of my pride, my selfishness, and my foolishness. I am not perfect, but you knew that, so you gave us Jesus. I believe Jesus Christ to be my Savior. So I repent and I ask for forgiveness. And today, I am so ready to come home. I'm ready to come home in Jesus' name. Can you give the Lord the best round of applause you've got?